This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Sybin, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. It's Monday yet again. I can't believe how fast the weeks go by, but here we are. And I wanted to talk about some of the things we'll be talking about this evening, holidays and content theft and what I have to go through on takedown notices. Edge is now going to be running Chrome, at least in the not-so-distant future. We'll explore that a bit. If you can't beat them, join them. The Apple Watch's AFib detection already helps somebody out. We'll look at what one Redditor experienced and how it helped him. Google Slate is not an experiment, despite the fact that some people think I should have reviewed it as such. I'm going to talk also about my fleet of gear that I use here in the studio for reviewing products. FPGAs are married with Xeon processors. That's kind of interesting. And we'll also look at how different types of home hubs treat your devices like door locks. Lots to talk about. Let's get to it. But I want to begin first by thanking our newest members on the channel, including Sean Kester, Jacob Coucher, Ed Finney, and Jonathan Coe. Sean gave via Patreon, and the others gave via my DonorBox page. I want to thank them and everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, along with everyone who watches on an ongoing basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, we don't have an advertiser this week, but we do have a non-ad for an occasional sponsor here on the channel, which is Plex and the Plex Pass. And I wanted to talk about my Plex affiliate link for gifting a Plex Pass subscription to somebody that you know or love. I know a lot of people want some of these features, and maybe they uh, would love a gift of a Plex Pass to get all of them. You will uh, get the DVR, of course, mobile syncing for offline viewing, free Plex apps across all platforms, parental restrictions, subtitle searches, uh, lots of other new features that get released on a regular basis as well. Uh, So if you have somebody who's been using Plex a lot, give them a gift. You can get them a lifetime subscription, for example, and they'll be set for life. So let's take a look now at the week in review. I didn't do all that much on the Extras channel this week, but we did unbox the Google Pixel Slate. I also did a follow-up on my Mac Mini review because one of the things that I noted in that review was that YouTube video was dropping a lot of frames when I was using the built-in Intel video hardware. A recent update to Mac OS X, uh, 10.14.2 to be exact, resolved those issues. So I did that as a follow-up video and added a card to the original. And then on the main channel, we did my full review of the Google Pixel Slate. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Uh, We also looked at the Apple Watch's new ECG feature and showed you how to set it all up. If you've got one of those watches, definitely activate it and run a test every once in a while to make sure your ticker is ticking correctly. And then we also had my full review of the Google Home Hub, uh, which is a Google Home with a screen that I like quite a bit. And everyone seemed to have a lot of good things to talk about on these videos. So we'll be getting to that in a second. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 94 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And uh, one of the things that I deal with quite a bit is people taking my content and re-uploading it. And Michael Caine here, it'd be so cool if this was the real Michael Caine, 
uh, wrote me a note here to say that somebody was grabbing one of my recent Lenovo Chromebook reviews and put it up on YouTube. And one of the disadvantages I have of being a very highly search-optimized channel is that people can easily take my content, upload a similar description, and sometimes do as well as I do. Uh, So I have to really stay on top of this because I'm going to be losing revenue if people are able to do this freely. And one of the things that YouTube has done over the last year is make it harder for people to monetize their channels immediately. So a lot of these channels that just spring up out of the blue and start uploading my content and content from other creators have a harder time making money off the ad revenue but they can still make a lot of money off affiliate marketing links, which is how uh, I got this channel really going. Because even though I wasn't making all that money, much money on YouTube initially, uh, the affiliate revenue was actually pretty good because people who were looking for a product were finding my review and then clicking on the link to go to Amazon or some other place. Uh, and that's what these folks are hoping to replicate just by stealing my content. So a lot of times what they do is they just re-upload the entire video. They'll put an affiliate link down in the video description. Uh, in this instance, there's one group that will just grab the video and put up a little uh, lower third here and ask people to go down to the comment section to click on a link to get that revenue as well. And it's just outright theft. They're taking my work and trying to profit from it versus creating something of their own. And every once in a while, I will get emails like the two that you see up on screen here asking me to retract the takedowns, promising never to do it to me again, but they are still going out and grabbing content from a lot of other creators and trying to do the same thing to them. So I never retract these things because uh, this hurts the platform as a whole when you get all this spam content popping up here. And uh, these folks need to understand that if you want to Uh, make money and participate in this platform, you need to contribute something of your own. You actually have to make your own video versus just taking somebody else's and uploading it. Uh, So I do appreciate everyone who brings these to my attention. It's very helpful. So if you do see it, uh, you can email me at lon at lon.tv or just leave a comment somewhere. Usually I can grab those and take them down pretty quick, but it's always very helpful to have this. And sometimes people spend a lot of time repurposing my content. There was one guy that took my video, sped up the audio, added all of his own graphics to it, but it was still my video at the end of the day. And he probably could have made his own in the time he took to steal mine and repurpose it. So uh, just keep an eye out there, folks. And if you are a creator yourself, this is likely happening to you as well. Uh, Initially, when I first started really getting aggressive about this, I had uh, discovered that over the course of the year, I probably lost about two or 300,000 views to some of these people that were pirating my content, essentially. So really staying on top of this uh, is very important. And YouTube is now making it a lot easier for creators to spot when this kind of thing occurs. Now, this is not to say I'm opposed to others using my content in a fair use kind of way. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody respond to something that I said or did, and that's totally fine. Uh, But I do ask if you are going to take a lot of my content for something you're working on, ask permission first. That's really a nice courtesy to extend. A lot of other YouTubers that I've worked with before also make those asks, and that's the kind of stuff that I think is important, not only just for basic courtesy, but also actually making the platform better for viewers, too, because the more we work together, the better the content is that we can create for all of you. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye, and a few of these stories caught your eyes as well. Uh, The big story here is that Microsoft Edge is going to be running with the open-source Chromium engine, and this will also bring the browser to Mac OS. So it looks like uh, Microsoft is now completely giving up on their 
own code base essentially for their browser and switching over to what is essentially driving uh, Google Chrome and I believe Safari as well. So this is a pretty big change for uh, Microsoft to make here. And it also is kind of a concession that their browser was not as good as uh, Chrome might have been on their platforms. But one viewer makes a very good point in the Facebook group, Andrew Rauch here, about the fact that uh, YouTube performance on low-end computers has always suffered on Chrome. And we've talked about all the reasons why in prior videos. Uh, so if they do switch to Chromium, I wonder what that's going to do for performance. Because even things like the Surface Go here uh, has better YouTube performance on uh, the Edge browser than Google Chrome because of how they handle the video compression. And we'll have to see what Microsoft does perhaps to make some enhancements for some of those things that aren't quite working nicely on low-end hardware. So we'll reserve judgment until this change happens. It's not happening immediately, uh, but it will be happening, I think, within the next year or two as they transition away from their own code to Chromium to drive that browser. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. Now, last week, Apple enabled the ECG feature on their Apple Watch Series 4, and it looks like it's already helped one person identify a condition that could have led to some significant health issues. Uh, This user on Reddit by the name of E. Dentel posted he's heading to a cardiologist because after they activated that feature on his watch, he ran the test and it said he was in AFib. He ran it again and it said, again, you're in AFib. Uh, He gave the watch to his wife and had her run it. Her heart rhythm was fine, so he decided that maybe i got to go get this checked out. So he uh, printed out his uh, atrial fibrillation recommendation from his watch. Remember, in our video, you can produce a PDF of what it read. And sure enough, he had a very rapid heart rate for being in a resting state. You can see very rapid beats here and then a pause, some more rapid beats and another pause, a big pause here. Uh, This is not a normal heart rhythm, so he decided to go to the emergency room. Uh, He was kind of embarrassed at first, as he mentioned here in his post. He said, uh, you know, my watch is a new feature. What do you think? And they just let him right in. When you got a heart condition at the ER, they just uh, don't, don't make you wait online for that. So they brought him in. Uh, We went from having this relatively low-detailed thing to getting the proper ECG taken on a proper medical device. And here you can see his heart rhythm is at 132 beats per minute, which is wicked fast. And you can also see the level of detail that you get from a true ECG machine. But nonetheless, this low-detailed report was enough to get this guy into some treatment. And hopefully his cardiologist now, who's armed with uh, much more detailed information, can uh, get him on the right track and have this condition treated. It's a very treatable condition. It's something that you can live with. And uh, I'm glad that uh, the watch was able to help him get there. This feature, though, is not enabled in most countries. They did activate it in the U.S. last week. Uh, the U.S. regulators determined that there is greater benefit than risk in having this feature enabled and making some medical recommendations for people. Uh, in some of the uh, testing that they did with the feature while it was being developed, they uh, were in the high 90 percentile compared to a regular ECG for detecting AFib. But it's possible that it might miss a diagnosis or something like that. But again, the benefits here far outweigh the risk especially for this guy who had this condition, didn't know he needed to check for it, uh, but checked solely because it was a new sensor feature they enabled on his watch. So I'm glad that they uh, got that going. And I hope many other countries around the world start allowing this as well, because I do think it will end up uh, saving lives and preventing some serious health issues. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And I wanted to expand upon my opinions on the Google 
Pixel Slate from my recent review. I got a couple of people who wrote in, like Matthew here, uh, who thought I wasn't being fair to the product because it was so new and kind of a beta sort of thing. Uh, And I wanted to address that. I'm not picking on Matthew directly, but I thought his comment uh, was the most succinct in this manner. Uh, He said basically here that I bought a concept machine, which Google uses internally, and they made it available for a higher price to customers that really wanted it. And I would disagree with that statement, uh, because if we look back at the history of Google's experimental products, they typically release them in a very limited fashion in that They limit how many people can buy them. They have an invite-only kind of thing where you have to apply to purchase it. Amazon does that with some of their Echo devices that they're releasing in limited quantities. They uh, basically send out invitations to purchase as opposed to just selling it outright. But this product is being marketed to consumers, and here is how they're doing it. When you log into the Google Store, uh, front and center is, guess what, the Pixel Slate and its pen right next to the Google Home and the Google Pixel Phone, two products that I think are much more mature. And you can even find it down here with the rest of the lineup. Uh, They also have on the page for the Google Pixel Slate, they're recommending people buy it for the multitaskers in their life. So this is not something that is just an afterthought or an experimental product. This is something being actively marketed to consumers who are no doubt in the market for something like this, like an iPad or a Surface device. In fact, they're even touting its productivity features about taking your work offline, multitask and collaborate, a powerful desktop experience and a long-lasting battery with fast recharge, all the things that we see marketed on a Surface tablet or on an iPad. And uh, when I use the iPad Pro, for example, the new one, I love it. Uh, It feels like the future. This doesn't quite feel like the future to me yet. I think it needs a lot of uh, real optimization, not only on the software side, but the hardware. Uh, You saw how that keyboard attached when it was folded up. It was sliding around a lot. And when you flex the keyboard, you'd often get a mouse click inadvertently, one you did not intend to do given how thin it was. Uh, So there were some problems with the accessory items there. The software isn't there, especially to make use of the pen. So that's an issue in of itself. And then Chrome OS on this device just felt bloated to me. Uh, The browser side was fine. It's running great even on low-end ARM devices. But even the Android stuff should have been running better. I didn't get an experience that uh, made me think, wow, this is so much better than a $250 Chromebook. It felt about the same. The Android apps had the same quirkiness as far as their uh, resizing of Windows, for example. The screen redraw was very slow on those things when you did make an adjustment. Uh, They didn't run all that quickly given what you have for a processor inside. It just doesn't feel like it's part of the operating system like the browser is. Uh, So hopefully they can make some uh, gains there to maybe improve the experience on their higher-end devices, especially for the Android component. In short, it just doesn't work all that great. And I think they're also having a hard time figuring out how does Chrome OS, which was designed to be a desktop operating system, work as a tablet operating system. And one of the things that I pointed out in the video was that one thing Microsoft did was rather than try to force people into, into that, like they did with Windows 8, Uh, they give people the choice. You can either have it run as tablet mode when your keyboard is detached, or you can let it run like a desktop if that's your choice. They just kind of gave up on trying to force it down the user's throat. Uh, And one user said, well, you know what, you can get around that by just attaching a Bluetooth mouse or an accessory. But I don't think you should have to have a hardware device uh, dangling off of it or connected to it just to make the choice as to how you want to interact with your machine. Uh, what I found with my Surface Go, the more I use it, is that sometimes I like it to be in tablet mode and I'll just tap a button and activate it. Other times I don't want it to be in tablet mode and will tap the button again to deactivate it. That's all I want. That's what they should do if they really have a hard time making the right design decisions. Let the users kind of guide that 
and they can collect that aggregate usage information and find ways to optimize the operating system for that experience. Now, what I mentioned in the review is that Apple took a very different approach to this. So if you want a tablet, you buy an iPad and have all the limitations of the tablet interface. If you want a desktop computer, you buy a Mac, and they offer a Mac that's about the size and weight of an iPad, this little 12-inch uh, MacBook that I use all the time. It's a very uh, nice little computer. It weighs about the same as what an iPad with a keyboard weighs, but you've got a regular computer, and that is how they determined uh, the best way to move forward with their different product lines. I do think we'll see uh, the iPad chip, or a derivative of it, in a Mac soon, but I don't think they're ever going to have a computer that's both. Uh, Microsoft, again, tried to do that with Windows 8, force users into the tablet interface, even on a desktop computer. That didn't work, so they uh, smartly did Windows 10 to give users that choice. And that's what I think uh, Google needs to do with Chrome OS, is just make it work better in this tablet mode and let users determine uh, what course they should take. Uh, Now, related to this, uh, Burajira wanted to know if I'm going to keep my Surface Slate or get rid of it, and I've decided that I am going to return it. Uh, My plan was to actually use that as my uh, Google Chrome device that I have as part of what I call my fleet of devices that I keep here for different reviews that I do, because we often look at things that Chrome OS is doing, most recently that move to install Linux applications, and I was hoping, you know, to have a nice Chrome OS device to use for that, but that one just isn't going to cut it. Uh, normally, I'd resell these things to viewers, but I really don't think any of you are going to be all that happy with it either. And the funny thing is, I keep coming back to my Chromebook Flip C101, uh, which I'll show you right here. Uh, this thing has been really useful as a Chrome OS demonstration device because it's got two USB-C ports on it. Uh, so I can easily output the display through those. It's very thin and light. It runs the Linux stuff. It runs the Android stuff. And it also, of course, runs regular Chrome stuff. So if I want to see how something might work in a tablet environment, I can just flip it around and get it going that way. So it's still a very nice, useful device. Um, Samsung has some really nice Chromebooks that I, I reviewed one of them a while back. I'll put a link to it down below in the master playlist. I really like that one. It was very nicely performing, uh, wasn't all that expensive, had the pen built in, and I think works better really as a two-in-one in Chrome versus just a straight-out tablet in Chrome. Uh, so you may want to look at one of those, or if you want something tiny, something like this, because this is really useful and performs, as we saw in the video, pretty much as well as that uh, Slate tablet does in benchmark tests. So that's where I, you know, it's my thought on this. I think it's something that it's, you know, everyone's going to find different things to uh, talk about and like and dislike. But I think on the whole for consumers, this is not a consumer ready device. I think Chrome OS enthusiasts will find some way to make the best use of it, but it's not perfect even for them. But this question got me to thinking about my fleet and all the things that I keep around here for using in all of the videos that I do. So I thought I would just kind of run through the things that I use here in the studio, which have some real utility for me. Uh, So on the Windows side, I've got, of course, the Surface Go, which I've talked about. I'm really liking the experience of owning this device. I know what its limitations are, but it's a very good Windows computer for doing Windows things, and it's very easy and quick for me to just grab this, boot it up, and uh, get whatever I need running, running, and then uh, get out. So it's been a great tool for that. I'm going to be using it a lot more, uh, as, you, as you'll see, throughout the course of the year here. I also have a Dell XPS 15 that came in about three and a half, four years ago from Dell, back in the early days of the channel. Uh, it's got like a 960M GPU, but it's got an i7 quad-core chip on board. So I use that if I'm doing things with OBS or some kind of video capturing outside of what I use with my TriCaster. That machine is great for that. Uh, so I use it a lot for that kind of stuff. 
Uh, and then off, often, too, I get a lot of PCs in for review, so those just kind of hang out and are available if we need a mini PC or something. There's always some mini PC in here that I'm uh, working on that we grab for uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, for phones, I've got my iPhone. I'm going to refer to my list here as I run through it. I've got my iPhone, of course, my iPhone 10, which we use when we're demonstrating products that have apps, for example. I have the iPad Pro for iPad kind of stuff. Uh, for Android phones, I use a OnePlus 3. Uh, OnePlus sent that to the channel about two or three years ago, but they really keep it up to date, even though it's an older phone. Uh, so I haven't had any problems running apps on it. All the things that I might, may want to demonstrate on an Android phone, it demonstrates just fine. I've been very happy with that phone, so I use that as my go-to Android device. And then we also have that GPD XD+, Plus, which is a, a little handheld gaming unit that has some of its own utility as well. So if we're doing any kind of Android emulation or something like that, uh, that works really well for that. TV boxes, I have a lot that I have to keep around. Uh, the NVIDIA Shield, of course, I've got one dedicated to just the studio. That's a device that I use all over the house. So I have one on every television. So I've got three in, in production, essentially, upstairs. Uh, but then I've got the one in the back drawer here that I use specifically when I'm doing videos. That's the newer one that I bought uh, about a year, year and a half ago when they made the new smaller version of it. So that's been a really good tool to have. I got the Apple TV 4K, which I use occasionally to show Apple TV apps. So we I need to keep one of those around. It also is useful because, as you'll see in a minute, I do some HomeKit stuff with my home devices. So uh, the Apple TV works as a home hub very transparently. So that's been useful for that. I have a bunch of Rokus that I keep around. I really like the Roku, and we're often uh, referring to it or at least using it as a reference sometimes when I'm doing individual product evaluation. I also have a Chromecast, which is another useful tool to have in the, uh, in the repertoire there. And then, of course, I keep an Amazon Fire TV stick around, and I recently got the 4K stick, which is now my reference Amazon device, too. Because whenever there's an update or something that happens on that platform, it may warrant a video update. So I like to just keep one of everything around here, especially in the TV box world. And you can never have enough solid-state hard drives, so I have a bunch of these portable SSDs. This is my collection of Samsung devices, but I've got... Uh, some SanDisk ones, too. A bunch of them are out there because we edit video exclusively on portable solid-state drives. They are so fast. They're like mini RAID arrays. They've been really uh, helpful for that, especially the USB-C versions. So I've been digging these quite a bit. Uh, for displays, I have the uh, Lenovo 1080p display that uh, you see a lot on the table here. Then I recently bought a 24-inch LG 4K display because a lot of the TV boxes we get in now support 4K. Uh, So I like to show the interfaces running with that display on the desk so you can see how responsive they are. Uh, That LG display I reviewed a few months back, it's like 250 bucks, if that. Uh, So a very good price for a pretty sharp IPS display at 60 hertz 4K. Can't beat it. Uh, It worked out really well for me. Then I've got some other doodads. So I keep a Raspberry Pi around. Actually, I got five of them uh, just because I've been collecting them over the years. A bunch of random stands. I got the kilowatt for measuring power. Occasionally, people have questions about power consumption. So we've got uh, the kilowatt for that. I have a USB Type-C power meter that we reviewed in a, or featured in a prior video from a few weeks back. That thing's not the most accurate, but it's generally useful for that kind of thing. So I've been using that a little bit just to make sure the right amount of electricity is flowing through devices there. Uh, and then we've got the eGPU box, of course, which I use occasionally, uh, like we just did on the Mac Mini review. But that one may be going into production when we get that Mac Mini set up as the editing workstation. So uh, lots of stuff. i probably got more stuff in the back that I have um, that just kind of sits there until it's needed. So it's good to have all these things because 
you never know when you might need to review something and have uh, some way to demonstrate it. So that's why I try to keep one of everything around just for those instances. And Travis Cunningham had a great observation about how a lot of these home hubs are determining what things they should allow versus not allow, given how difficult it is with a voice to verify somebody is who they say they are. Uh, So we saw with Google Home, they do have a voice print functionality, but it's not perfect. It's easily tricked. If we had a recording of my voice, that would be enough to trip it to uh, do something like that. So he noticed that some of his devices allow things to be uh, locked without a validation, but you can't unlock them without some kind of authentication. And that has often been something that for me wasn't the most convenient because if I'm out walking my dog and I want to unlock my house, for example, I have to take my phone out of my pocket and uh, revalidate. Not so hard with an iPhone with a face detector, but if you're in the middle of the winter with a uh, fingerprint reader, for example, there's a bit of an inconvenience to the point where you may as well just take out a key and unlock the door. Uh, so for example, here on my iPhone, if I pull up our August smart lock here, if I face the phone away from me and say, hey, unlock the studio door, I need to actually unlock the phone first in order to do that. But what I can do with my watch is actually unlock the door. So I can do my raise to lift here, unlock the studio door. And what should happen here, hopefully, yep, there it goes, uh, is that I can unlock the door very efficiently uh, with just my watch because I have been already validated and the watch will keep me validated so long as it detects that it's connected to my arm. And then, so, and... And then, of course, sometimes she doesn't hear that she did unlock the lock. But nonetheless, uh, it can do that kind of stuff. So I think the watch has been really great for home control because what I love is when I take the dog out for a walk and come back to the house, I can just raise my wrist even in the cold weather and initiate the door to unlock, which I think is just awesome in the future. Uh, I think some of the validation makes it a little bit difficult. But I can, though, uh, go back to my phone here and say, hey, lock the studio door. And again, no validation here because locking the door obviously is is something that it's comfortable doing without uh, some kind of direct validation. Of course, it doesn't always uh, function as quickly as it should. There it goes. Um, So we have my usual problem with the door there. I have to get the door fixed again because I can't actually lock my doors after I unlock them. But that's another problem I got to deal with. But nonetheless, you can see how it works. It's kind of nice that they do that. And again, I really like the functionality of having the watch because it's validated uh, before I walk out the door to be very flexible in how I can control my home without uh, an overarching amount of uh, re-authentication to do something simple. Now I'm going to present this next question as a point of discussion because I think it's a very interesting topic. Hamidor uh, brought this to my attention in the Facebook group, which is that uh, Intel, as you know, purchased an FPGA chip maker And we've been talking a lot about FPGAs in the context of simulating old game consoles and old computers. Software emulation has its limits, as those of you with a uh, Sony PlayStation Classic can attest. Uh, And there's something about running things in a simulated FPGA environment that brings more authenticity to the original hardware, yet being compatible with modern HD televisions. Two of my favorite products recently that uh, use that technology are the uh, analog consoles, their NES console and their SNES console. Great experiences, very little controller lag, but you get the benefit of a very clean HD signal coming out of those classic game consoles. And we're seeing now a whole new string of interest coming around FPGA technology in the open source world as well. 
uh, with the Mister Project that we'll be hopefully doing some more with in the coming weeks. And Commodore brought to my attention that there's actually a uh, Intel processor, a Xeon processor, that also has an FPGA integrated into it, which is really intriguing. As you know, Intel bought Altera a while back, and back in May, just recently, uh, they released this Intel Xeon processor that has the integrated FPGA, and Commodore sees this as something that uh, may be the future of computer chips, and that you can basically have hardware acceleration uh, for anything, and your chip doesn't need to have the hardware acceleration designed into it when it's first made. You can program it in uh, using an FPGA integrated into the die, like the Xeon processor, to get specific things to work in a faster fashion. And I can see this really becoming something if Intel uh, begins integrating it into consumer technology. Uh, One example of another type of chip like this is Intel's Altera Cyclone uh, SOC5 that's in this board that is the heart of the MISTER project. Uh, This has an ARM processor built into the FPGA on the same chip, essentially. Uh, So it boots up Linux inside that ARM core, and then it's able to drive the uh, FPGA from that. Now it looks like there's an actual desktop processor that's got the same uh, kind of thing built in. So this is kind of cool. I'd love to see where this goes. I'd love to hear from some of you who have some uh, interest and experience in FPGAs about uh, what this chip might mean for the future. Uh, it's been out for a little bit and none of us even knew about it. Uh, so this is kind of fun. So take a look at the article there on screen and comment down below. And again, hopefully soon we'll get to this mister once I've had some time to put it all together. It's just been a busy month with a lot of new products coming out to review. Now I'm changing the channel of the week to the pick of the week. And the reason is, is that I'm finding things on channels that I've previously reviewed that I really want people to see. And I felt like, well, I can't talk about that channel because they already were the channel of the week. So we're going to change it to the pick of the week. And that will give me some more flexibility to recommend other things too. But I'll try to primarily stick to channels and other media that you can consume. Uh, So on the Motherboard uh, YouTube channel this week, they had a great uh, video about a do-it-yourself rocket maker who's in the process of developing his own self-landing model rockets. And what I really liked about this is that we're in a period of time where there is so much available inexpensively for people to start tinkering with this. He's got a whole gimbling rocket system, and he's working on the timings of bringing these uh, rockets down so they can land with a solid, uh, a solid fuel motor, essentially, uh, on the ground. That he's making a lot of progress in getting it there. And you think about it, this is like one guy with a hobby who's kind of replicating some very advanced rocket techniques because software is available, the means of connecting with other people with similar interests is available, and there's hardware available very inexpensively uh, that can provide the processing power he needs to uh, make all of these calculations for a free-flying rocket. This is just cool stuff and definitely worth checking out because I think, again, we're in a period of time where we're going to see a lot of rapid innovation uh, from people like this guy who are going to invent things again, and you don't necessarily need anymore a big, huge corporation to do it. Uh, To some degree, these FPGA chips are a great example of that. You can program any hardware you want without having to own a silicon manufacturing facility for chips. This is cool stuff, and just another example of, of I think, an exciting time in uh, human development. There's a lot of problems that the internet brings, but there's also a lot of benefit, and this is one of those examples. So check it out, the rocket guy, at the link you see down below. So this week on the channel, we'll be reminded why I keep an NVIDIA Shield or 3 around, uh, because the GeForce Now beta has been out for a little while. I got let into it, I'm not sure how long ago, 
uh, and I discovered that I can actually play the Steam games that I bought on Steam in the NVIDIA cloud. It works really well, especially given that Steam has cloud syncing. So I wanted to show it to you in case you didn't know you could do this. Uh, It is free until they decide to stop making it free, but I thought it was a very good idea to start integrating people's purchases into their service that they've been trying to launch for a while now. And I guess you can also run this on the Mac and PC as well. So I'm going to cover that a little later in the week. That should be a fun one. It's not news, perhaps, to some of you, but it's news to me, and I thought some of you might be interested in it. I also got in the new Roku Premiere, uh, and I'm thinking about maybe updating my Roku buying guide video because they have so many products, like $10 apart from each other. This might be a helpful uh, video to put together. I did one a few years ago. Uh, they've changed some of the products around, but they still have the same number of products. And the Premiere now is their lowest cost 4K device, uh, but it's only like 10 or $20 behind their next highest cost 4K device. So we'll look at what this one can and can't do uh, in a review, and maybe I'll do a follow-up the following week on what you should be looking at. I also got in this Lenovo gaming laptop. This is their Y7000P. I just haven't had a chance to get it all put together yet, but I hope to review it a little later this week. As I know you all like the lower cost, not low cost, but lower cost uh, Lenovo gaming machines. So we'll take a look at that. And also on the docket is the single drive Synology NAS, which I have now fully evaluated. And I'm just trying to find a good time to slot it in for a full review. So stay tuned for that. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have my uh, Plex relationship, which is ongoing. We talked about my Plex gift affiliate link at the top of the show, but you can also sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required at all, and we'll get a little commission for that too. So if you want to help the channel with Plex, there are many ways to do that. We have many other channels to take a look at as well. We have my extras channel for supplementary content like that iMac follow-up, but also unboxings. We have the podcast, which is an audio version of this show. We have the Snippets channel, uh, where you can find this show broken up into search-friendly snippets, and that one's starting to uh, grow nicely. We have over 1,000 subscribers there. And we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams for some of the live content that I've done in the past. And if you like what I do, I suggest you click on that bell to get notified whenever I do go live or upload new stuff, so you can click on that bell right there to get it done. We also have different ways to engage with the channel, lon.tv slash email for my very occasional email list. We have the Facebook page at facebook.tv slash Facebook, which is where you can find uh, my videos as well. We have the Facebook group, which is growing by leaps and bounds. I think we're... Three, two, one. Now, if you like what I do and want to get notified of future videos, you can click on the bell. I did let uh, YouTube know some of your feedback that you had about... Uh, the Premiere feature and how those notifications work. So hopefully they'll take some of those suggestions. But I do think the uh, Premiere of this wrap-up, when I can do it, uh, works really well for subscribers and for me. It's a great way for us to connect. Uh, So this video always goes up at 7 p.m. on Monday nights when I do it, which is most weeks. Uh, So whether or not it's a Premiere, it's going to launch at exactly the same time. Uh, So be sure to uh, click the bell if you want to get notified when things happen. We have my email list at lon.tv slash email, which is very occasional. If I've got some big channel news, I share it on there. We have my Facebook page where I upload video from the channel. So you can check out uh, my videos on Facebook if you prefer to watch there. They're monetizing for me now too, which is nice. 
We have my Facebook group at lon.tv slash Facebook group, which is growing by leaps and bounds. I think we're close to 600 people in there now. Great discussion, great uh, feedback and topics for me to cover here on this show and other things that I do. So I'm really finding it a very useful place to interact with everyone. And it's great to see many of you interacting with each other. And then we have my store at lon.tv slash store, where I sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel. And if you want to get notified whenever I add something to the store, you can go to lon.tv slash store alert. I usually do some store editions on Sundays, sometimes during the week if I have time. Uh, And the stuff I put up last night already sold. So those notifications are definitely being consumed out there. So if you want to get a shot at some of this stuff, definitely sign up for a notification alert so you can get one by email. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support of the channel. we got a lot of great stuff coming up here as we wind our way through the holiday season. So please keep those suggestions and comments coming so we can keep providing great content for all of you. Until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Gerard Newberg, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.